This is the Customer Equity Accelerator. If you are a marketing executive who wants to deliver bottom line impact by identifying and connecting with your revenue generating customers, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Allison Hartso, CEO of Ambition Data. Every other week, I bring you the leaders behind the customer-centric revolution who share their expert advice. If you are ready to accelerate, then let's go. Welcome, everybody. Today's show is about scaling a startup with data. And to help me discuss this topic is Barca Saxena. Barca is the chief data officer at Poshmark, which if you haven't heard, is a social commerce marketplace where people buy and sell new and used clothing, shoes, accessories. It's actually quite extensive. I was really surprised at the spread. Barca, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alison, for having me. It's great to be here. Tell us a little bit about how you got to be part of the Poshmark team. And then if you could also tell us a little bit more about Poshmark, as I know there are some very early adopters out there, but maybe not everybody understands the platform. Absolutely. So I joined Poshmark almost six years ago. I had just quit my job before that and I was trying to figure out like what am I going to do next and I pretty much wanted to stay in the data field which is what I had done before coming to Poshmark and I was looking for something in either the mobile or the commerce space and it just turned out that I found Poshmark which was mobile and commerce as well as social. All of it was together. So that brought me to just uh, reach out to Manish and have an initial conversation. But as I met with more and more people at Poshmark, I just fell in love with the team. I mean, we were still very early. Poshmark was just two years in and uh, there were like 35 or so people in the company. So pretty small, but I really liked the team and I loved the concept we were trying to build. Because if you think of it in 2014, mobile itself was still pretty new and trying to build a fashion commerce with the the social aspect was a very unique idea. So I was very excited with the role data could play in there. And then you get to do that with really fun people that just a no-brainer. So I joined Poshmark six years ago, and, and I'm still here and having as much fun. Could you take a sec just to say what the culture's like? You've said that you really like the team, but I've been thinking a lot about customer-centric cultures, and it strikes me that Poshmark probably has this. How would you describe what it feels like inside the company? Yeah, so it's a very people-centric company. And the best way to understand that is we have only four cultural values for Poshmark. And they are focus on people, lead with love, together we grow, embrace all weirdness. And we apply these core values internally when we work together, but we also look at the community we are serving with the same aspect. So again, focus on people. We are in the service of our community. So we are building this platform and every decision we make, we think of our community and how it will help them. Similarly, internally, every decision, we start with people focus. And then we lead with love. And that just helps in so many decisions. Whenever in doubt, just lead with love and things will become much more clearer. Together we grow. Again, together we grow from the employee's perspective. We focus on each and everyone's growth and working together so that we are growing. But then we also look at it from the community perspective. Poshmark is only going to grow if our community is growing with us and they are benefiting from the Poshmark's growth. 
And lastly, the embrace the all weirdness. It is such a powerful thing because what we are saying in there is we embrace all diversity. We everyone with any convictions, lifestyle, or anything is welcome at Prashmark, whether it's an employee or it's one of our community members. So if you think of it in all those four values, what is underlying is the people. And that makes Poshmark just so much fun. It's a company that people are focused, really smart people, focus on working together in building a product, which is bringing a, building a community and bringing people closer together, people who are passionate about fashion, but doing it in a very selfless way. So everyone focuses on the other person's goals. And that just allows the whole company to grow together. If you think of it, we are a pretty big size company. Just late last year, we announced that we have distributed our sellers $2 billion. And $1 billion of that happened in just last one year. We are able to do that despite still being a much smaller company. We are like 450 people in the company. But because we are all working together with a very common goal that it's about the benefit of the community and how we are serving the community and how we are growing Poshmark as opposed to focusing on the self-interest, that just creates this beautiful culture. And honestly, for me, it just feels like another home. That is fantastic. I haven't heard any company express those cultural values in such a spectacular way. I can see why you love working there. Can you tell us a little bit more about your specific role and what your team does? Does, and maybe you can relate that back to the same values. Yep. So I'm Chief Data Officer at Poshmark. My role is at the highest level. My function exists to create value for the community, but we look to create that value through the data. So my team works across all the business functions from the growth team, marketing team, product, operations, finance, accounting, as well as like I work very closely with Manish Chandra, our CEO. And our goal is to look at all the data and how we can use it to keep building the product, which will bring highest ROI to each of these functions and in terms of the community. So to give you an example, my team is divided in like multiple smaller teams, which are very closely aligned with each of the business functions. So the head of my product data team works very closely with the product and the engineering team and is very focused on how can I use all this data from Poshmark platform to help the team build the best product experience for our community. Similarly, when my head of growth and marketing team is working with his counterpart, business partners, he's very focused on figuring out how can we use the data to continue to retain our users, deliver them a great experience, and continue to bring new users on board who are benefiting from Poshmark and are gelling into the Poshmark uniqueness of this social commerce platform. Nice. Do those different areas ever conflict where you have product wanting to understand one thing from a particular angle and a different part of the business trying to understand something else that would essentially cause the two to work against each other? So it does not happen here. I have been in multiple places, so I completely understand where that question is coming from. And I think there are multiple reasons I have not seen that happening at Poshmark. Going back to there is this, what is the goal, right? So it's not that no function exists for the sake of its own function. We all exist in the service of our community. People can have different ideas for what answer or feature will deliver us that value. But that's where I think data plays a beautiful role because data is very objective. 
you need to start questions with a context and some ideas but then when you take those questions and you start looking at it from the data perspective you always find the answer which is very objective not driven by any biased opinion and my team is also independent team so we are not part of the product org or not part of the growth and marketing so we also kind of just look at it independently without being biased with uh, any perspectives and that's very important so it's a very healthy balance and our product or marketing or all the business functions they actually respect that they pose the question but then they don't try to influence how we are going to look for the answer to that question So if product manager is trying to build a feature that hey I want to be able to recommend a good personalized set of listings to my users they just leave the question there and then they let us figure out like how we should be building that model and how it should be communicated to the users because that's where we can use the data to understand the types of users how they have interacted with us in the past and how the social plays with the commerce because even for building something which is as standard as recommendation algorithm these days when you are building that for a social commerce platform you have to look at it very differently so i think that's the value i would say the data team brings in So first of all because of the Kashmir culture we don't have even the business function conflicting with each other because they might come from the different angle but then we all get together and we look at it holistically about the user experience and a user experience is delivered by each business function if we look at the holistic picture but then data also becomes a unifying denominator because data is looking at all the questions and coming up with a comprehensive story and i think that's where the structure is very different for Kashmir versus other companies and other companies are getting there but I oftentimes run across executives who believe that oh it's just not that hard to get insights from data you push it together and out pop the insights and yet behind that I think are two things that you've been underscoring here one is the question the executive is learning to ask and the other is the way the data is structured are your executives naturally thinking about the shape of their questions perhaps a little differently than other organizations might so i would say i'm hesitating in uh, judging or guessing how the other executives in other companies might be asking the question but just thinking from the poshmark perspective our executives ask the question very broadly so they don't try to narrow it down because if you narrow it down then what you're asking for is can you give me this and this data and i would say that a lot of reason that the data is in such a strong position at poshmark because manish chandra our ceo he's a very data driven function person and think of it there are not too many startups who hire a vp of data when you are a 35 people company he did that because he believed in the power of the data so he has actually instilled this culture He doesn't want to feed the answer. He wants to pose the question and then let the team figure out. I mean the whole reason and actually I do the same thing too. I mean I'm a data person. So if a question is being posed to for example let's say the product data team, I want to jump in sometimes and start sharing my own opinion, but I don't do that because the reason we have really smart people who are very focused in that area because they have expertise and they have insights about like a much broader purview of the user behavior that they can actually do a much better job of connecting what the question is and then listing the hypothesis in partnership with their business partner 
and then breaking it down from hypothesis to what data should be pulled and how it should be structured and what tools should be used to give the answer you are looking for. So yes, we do ask very broad questions. In the process, what I thought was interesting was that you said listing the hypothesis, and I assume that comes from your team that helps the exec take that broad question and turn it into a hypothesis. Is that correct? That is correct. But the way we do it, each of these data projects have a very set cycle, right? So it just starts with a broad question someone is asking. So data team will come up with some hypothesis. And sometimes even the business owners can put a few hypotheses there, but they never dictated that, hey, this is what you need to think. They say, here are some of my thoughts. What do you think are the additional things we should be looking here? Sometimes they will just give the business question. But together, we come up with a set of hypotheses, and then my team will go and review it with the business function owner. Because the truth is, the business function owner have a very unique, different types of insight, which is independent of the data. And the both pieces are very valuable. And actually, one other thing which we do at Poshmark, which is, I think, very unique and very valuable, we actually also get the opinion of someone who's not from that business function and someone who does not belong to that specific functions data team to get a totally different set of opinion or the perspective, which we might be missing because we are too much into that world. So as someone who is working on, let's say, the growth data team might just take the set of hypotheses and show it to a person in the product data team and say, hey, this is how, this was the question. These are the scenarios I'm thinking of exploring. What are your thoughts? Because unique thoughts come up when people are not immersed into that area. And we call it the review process. That is very unique. And it is also reminding me of the financial crisis where the companies got so narrowly focused on a particular value metric that they forgot to add common sense in. So in a sense, you're putting a governor on the process by allowing someone to apply fresh eyes to it that might surface things that you just hadn't seen, right? Exactly. And it's a very codified review process, we call it. So we have to write this, what we call the analytics spec, or in the cases of modeling or data science, we call it model spec. But once you have written it, it goes through a business review cycle, not the technical review. Technical review comes after that. Business review, and again, we do, we are a startup. So I'm calling it a process, but that doesn't mean we take like weeks to do everything. It's set up a meeting, 30 minutes meeting, go through it, get the feedback and implement it, and then you move forward. Nice. That sounds very efficient. Sounds very agile. We are a startup, so I'm not a big fan of any project which anybody says, oh, it's going to take me three months. I like business and the world would have changed so much. I mean, finishing up the entire thing can take three months, but there have to be the pieces which are fully done in between so that we are starting to create the value and not waiting for this, like the super great model, all the analytics, which comes so late that the train has already passed the station. Barker, when you first started at Poshmark, did you have to wrestle with the data to get things to queue up so you could answer their questions? Or was it all green field and you could get ahead of it because you came in so early? So I would say it was a positive and not so positive side of it. When I So Poshmark is my first startup. Before that, I had to spend my time in bigger companies. Their data used to be there, and my job was just to start working with the data. Poshmark was my first startup, and what I learned on my first day, we didn't have too much of the data, which was a blessing because my first three years at Poshmark was spent in just building the whole data infrastructure. And that was a blessing because as I built that data infrastructure and I built it from the very end goal in the mind that when I'm done with this process, what do I want to see? How this data will be enabling decisions across all business functions? What tools will I need? 
So I basically started with a very high-level vision and then mapped it down to the execution steps. Very practical, which basically based on the resources I can have from 35 people to 100 people to 200 people company. But because we started with how this data will deliver value to the business, we were very intentional in deciding what we are collecting, how we are collecting, where we are storing, what tools we are getting, and what data culture we are setting up. So that was, I would say, a blessing because I didn't have to struggle with a lot of things which I hear from a lot of my colleagues who struggle. When you go in these legacy companies, there's a lot of data and it has been built with like just the next thing in mind as opposed to very holistic pictures, which makes sense because it exploded in the last few years and not everyone had the benefit of starting fresh, but I did. So that was great. The other side of it was there wasn't too much data for my, I would say, first few months at least. I mean, then again, we were building in the building blocks, so I started to get some data in six months. But the interesting thing is the data which we had, even in the, like, going back to the original question that I had to the sell through it, what we had done when I came at Poshmark, we had started storing some real-time data to just keep track of how many orders we are getting, what is the GMV, how many users we are acquiring. So we started with like, this is pre-me at Poshmark. We had started with tracking a few things you should do as a startup when you start. But we have a very strong technology team. But because they build this homegrown tool to do this real-time data tracking, and they honestly did it before all this real data tracking thing became the thing. So I'm very impressed. But because they had this homegrown thing, people kept adding things to it. And then on that data space, we had the problem which you see in all the data in like most of the bigger companies. So when I came to Poshmark, what I noticed in the beginning that initially I was very excited that everybody's so data-driven, right? We small company, but we still have enough data. And when you go into the meeting, everyone is bringing the data to make a point or have a discussion or think about next steps. But very soon, what became clear was everyone was bringing in their own definitions of what the data should be. Like we could even argue on things, what is the definition of GMV? Because different people could add data into that data flow. So it was... I know exactly what you uh, mean. We had started with a good point, but <laughs> right. So even on that data, while I was building this more cleaner side of it, it was me and I had one data engineer in India, but we spent time in bringing a lot of discipline even to the data we had. Because, you know, whatever it was, it was... It was still great, and we were making decisions on it. So I spent some time in first defining the metrics. Let's just give the definition of first identifying. Here are the top 30 metrics we should focus on. We are very small. We don't need to go 100 metrics yet. Here are the top 30 things. Defining their definition, going through the code, cleaning it up, making sure it's defined the same way. Coming up with the framework and the meta models of like how these metrics should be evaluated. Because sometimes people will look at the daily data. Sometimes they are looking at the hourly data. Even the line which is going up to the right, that trend can be interpreted in three different ways, depending on how you are looking at it. So I kind of just created like a structure that, hey, here, is the, here are all the metrics we should be looking at. This is how we should be looking here, are the dimensions on which we should be looking at. These are the trends which exist in the business when you're looking at these trends. Here are the type of the seasonalities. So kind of created a playbook so that we have a framework and then we converted that playbook to actually build a UI-based tool on the same data. 
So no longer, people could still download the data if they wanted to. However, Manish will rely on that tool where we had codified and defined and queried everything to make sure that the data is all correct, the definitions are consistent, and we even applied some methodologies to give the interpretation of the data. So that one week once we get together, we are no longer arguing on what the data is. We are arguing on the trends and the numbers and what does it mean and how we make a decision. Basically, the conversations moved from arguing on data to the decisions because data was the same. That's kind of the company's dream. Most companies get maybe one part of that or one aspect of that, but they don't get the whole package together. And you've hit on so many themes in just that brief description. I want to circle back to a couple things that you said. I've heard across other companies that the metrics that you pick in your framework for evaluation need to be trendable, need to be extensible through the organization. And I'm hearing you check both of those boxes. Is that right? Yep. Okay. I was a little bit surprised to hear you say the top 30 metrics because I've heard other companies go down to more like three or four and then they unpack them from that base of three or four. But you mentioned 30. Is that still the case or is that just where you started to just say, let's get a feel for what's going on? It's actually many more than that now, but we have a process on like how we keep track of it. And this is where, and the reason we have 30, first of all, we are the social commerce platform, which means we have way many more metrics which we need to track as compared to the typical e-commerce company, mm -hmm. right? And these 30 metrics are across all the business functions. So there are metrics with the growth team needs to keep track of how different channels are performing. There are metrics which product team needs to keep track of to understand how users are engaging. And then there are metrics which our community service and operations team keeps track of to make sure we are serving our customers the best way and how they are trending. It was 30, but it was divided among different business groups who were looking at it. However, as a data team owner, it was my responsibility to still keep track of those 30 metrics. And the process I had was every Monday morning, uh, though that was in the early days, I actually used to look at like Sunday, I will go through all the data and come up with the key insights. And the Monday morning, the whole executive team will go to get together. And 30 metrics is not that hard to go through. If you are not arguing on the definition and the methodology and what is really up with versus what is really down. So mm -hmm. it's actually very fast to go through the data once you have alignment. And all we are focusing on is what the trends are. I love that. It's very fast to focus on the data. Once you have alignment and you understand what the trends are, then you can argue about what it means instead of what it says. Yep. And from there, when I'm saying that we have a lot many more now, where we have gone to the Poshmark is a very data-driven company. And this is a culture we wanted to build. So we built it this way from the beginning that we brought in the tools so that we could enable every decision maker across the company at all levels to have easy access to consistent data. So again, we were very clear that no two people should ever be arguing on what the definition of a metric is. And when they want to access it, same source, the same data pops up. And by doing that, we have a major data literacy at Poshmark. So people understand the metric and there are different metrics they are responsible for. 
However, but to still ensure that there is an executive level ownership of all the metrics, we have a process. So we have built a tool. It's an homegrown tool. We call it Athena, just the name I came up with. What we do in that tool is we have structured a set of dashboards for different business owners where we pre-populate data in the way it should be looked at. So we have we also trained each and every executive and their lieutenants to make sure that people are very data educated. And then everyone has a set of metrics. And they are expected to end those dashboards. The data is available daily, weekly, monthly, whatever the frequency you want. But again, the consistency. So you're not struggling through it. So everyone is supposed to review their data, but then every four weeks, my team runs a day-long session where each executive owner comes with their team, and each executive owner has a partner from my team so that they're looking at this data together and not just wondering about things themselves. But in that day-long meeting, we together go over the metrics with each of the business owner. But obviously, let's say a business owner has 100 metrics. You're not going to go over 100 metrics in like the 20 minutes I'm spending with that executive. However, you have been looking at those metrics since a long time that you have a meta model of how and what you're looking for, where you see the trends. And you have this waterfall process, right? So this is the top metric I look at. If I see some trends in that top metric, here are the three metrics I'm looking at. And then you go down from there. And in this monthly session, which I have with each of the executive owners, we just focus on looking at the trends which that owner has identified is worth bringing up to the entire e-team. And the process just works beautifully because we have a lot of metrics, but it's not that there's one person responsible for it. They're different business owners. But what my team does it, we bring it all together. Because if you leave any of the function in silos, you will miss the full picture. A user is a user. They are not what the growth team is doing and they are not what the product team is doing. Their experience and the value they're getting from the platform is a function of what each and every one of us is doing. So my data function does this job of just bringing all the functions together. This almost sounds like a chief operations officer. Well, we are just doing the data aspect of it, right? So the CEO with whom I work very closely. Yeah, so his role is now from the data, you have to have the execution strategy. So my CEO actually sits in the day-long meeting. So there's my CEO and I are the two people and the person who owns this product. We are the one who are sitting in that meeting the entire day because a lot of the execution steps comes out of that meeting. And then we have a whole process of like, how do we follow on that process? This makes a lot of sense. And what I like best is it's got a lot of sensitivity across the business. If you see, so not only is the data structured well, but if a business owner applying their subject matter expertise sees a trend that seems interesting, you're able to maybe cross reference it or understand it in the broader context as well in the organization. And then we do the communication. We make sure that it gets communicated to the entire exec team, and then they do the communication to make sure everyone is aware. Very nice. All right, now I have to ask, because we haven't actually mentioned this metric, are you using customer lifetime value or some of the components of customer lifetime value? We absolutely do. And just to give you an example, uh, that honestly, we are such a classic case of if we were making decisions just based on what user does in like first day of first week, we will be making so many not great decisions or at least not high ROI decisions. Our cohorts, like the users who come on certain day to certain platform, I mean, we have many dimensions of the user cohorts, but our user cohorts go through this smiley curve, as we call it internally, which means like any other e-commerce company or, or any, I would say, social company, any company which has the users, you get a lot of users on board. 
and generally there is some decay, right? And then the cohort has stabilized to some point. It's a very standard cohort curve. What happens with Poshmark is, yes, there is an initial decay where some of the users don't stay in the platform or don't have the same high value as on day one. But once they get to the stable point, and then we see them starting to grow. And that's what we call the Poshmark love effect, or you can call it social network effect. That is something at least I have not come across in many places. And we call them a smiley curve because if you can visualize it, it comes down, but then it starts to go up. So if we were not looking at from the customer lifetime value, we will have a very different picture of different cohorts and different platform and different channels as well as different product features, interactions, how they lead to it because the picture is not complete. Just look at the beginning. So we absolutely use the lifetime value for almost all decisions. That is awesome. I love that name of the smiley curve and also the fact that after that initial decay, you can grow customers through the right not just through the data, but through the actions you take that reflect perhaps a relationship. I mean, when you talk about it as a social network effect, to me, that sounds like two ways back and forth. The organization is listening and supporting the customers as much as the customers are giving back to the organization. You've got a two-way model there. Yeah, and we don't think of it, it's our job. We bring in people with the promise of this great experience and for our sellers, a great success. And it is our responsibility to make sure that we deliver on the promise. But it's not just a great experience. I have to call that out because so many companies are using that term about, oh, I just want to have great CX. And I always think about that as kind of a red herring because they don't respect the heterogeneity of the customer base. Oftentimes when they design these experiences, it's just kind of a flashy thing. But what you're doing is different. It's not just a great experience. It's a great sustaining experience. Maybe it's a series of micro experiences along the way from how I act as a new customer versus how I act as maybe a customer who bundles or a customer who has a boutique or any other number of things that you could lever along the way. Absolutely. I mean, that's what we call. So when we look at any data or even when we build a model, it's never one thing because the user has so many dimensions and you get different insights. So can you talk a little bit more about that when you say it's never one thing? You mean like within any user, there are so many dimensions of detail behind them that whatever model you form could reflect differently depending on the question you're trying to answer? Yes. So we don't collect a lot of demographic information. But the way we define the users is which of the platform you use, that actually matters. The people who are on one platform behave differently than the other platform. Uh, the users who are very the seller focused versus the buyer focused, they behave differently. Depending on the depth and the breadth of the social networks, different user groups can have very different behavior and requirements. There are sellers who have become, for example, the power sellers. They have very different asks and the requirements than the support which a, which a new seller might need. So we have to think about both of them when we are thinking about the feature and not just focus on one versus the other. Even from the buyer's perspective, we have people with different passions and different reasons for coming to Poshmark. And we have to make sure that when we are thinking about any changes to the feature or what we are showing you in your feed, we are personalizing it based on the signals you are leaving. And those signals could be the people you are connecting to, the items you might be liking on the platform, the items you might be sharing. So we use all that data to make sure that the experience is very personalized. When you have already left so much information about you in the way you are using the app, 
We are presenting you with the experience, whether it's who we recommend you that you should connect with, whether it's the people recommendation, or recommending the items you should purchase with, or thinking about what seller tools we should be building. We need to think about a different segments of the buyers or the sellers as opposed to just looking at them as this one lens. Mm-hmm. I love it. You've really taken heterogeneity through data into an exponential level and found not just ways to collect it, but ways to collect it meaningfully so that you know what behaviors are actually driving a difference for your business. And I think right there is where you quantified what you call the love effect. You can can see people so happy to have a new tool that matters to them or the ability to share it with their friends. Barca, are there any other examples that you want to share before we talk about how somebody should think about their data structures? So I would say as we are thinking about the data structures, when it goes to the data structures or the data tools or the culture, I think it's starting with at the very top, not just from the what business question I'm asking, but what is the purpose of this business function? And when I talk about business function, I'm talking about like within the data team. So if you are trying to build something, what is it supposed to do so that you are thinking it holistically and from the scaling perspective so that you build the data in the right way and then you build the tools in the correct way. An example of that will be uh, when we built our A-B testing platform, we wanted to build it in such a way that we can get insights in multiple phases. So really early on and then the data matures and like when we are really confident. We wanted to be able to do this in a very automated way because, again, we are we still run like a startup, so we need to be very efficient. We still needed to have all the statistical measures in, so making sure that when you are calling something yes or no, there's a statistical significance. But we needed that statistical significance to be communicated in very business way so that as we start to pull out these reports, first of all, we wanted all the product managers, for example, to be able to get the reports. And even they get the reports, we need them to be able to understand what it's saying without really trying to understand what the heck p-value means. So once we thought about from that perspective, doing these like one-off A-B tests when you are running a test is not a solution which can scale because then there are only so many tests you can run unless you are building like a massive organization, which is not the way we function. We function with the scaling mindset. So we built an internal A-B testing tool, and we looked at a lot of external options as well, but there's a lot of things which are unique about Kashma. From the data culture perspective, I myself being a big believer on I need everything to be running on our data because I don't want the data from the three places coming in because, again, I don't want the data confusion. I want the discussions on the insights. So we had to build the same internally, but the benefit of building it internally was there was an investment in building it. But once it's done, we have become so efficient. So just comparing from last year to this year, we were able to output 75% more A-B testing analysis as compared to last year, which is like almost doubling the whole thing because we brought all this efficiency in the process. And we also just educated our entire product engineering community so that as we start to send out ugly insights, there is no confusion. People understand what's coming out, what it means. If they are curious in between, there's a place where they can go and pull the data. So again, just I think it's using the, I would say, the same underlying principles that the purpose of the data is to deliver value in help in making decisions. Depending on what business problem you're trying to solve, you have to think about the data structures accordingly and have to build the appropriate tool. And the only way things can scale is when we go out of like the constant customization and doing one ad hoc thing to just building these repeatable, what I call the data product. 
So instead of trying to do the projects, we try to work on building the data product so that whenever you do something, first time you are doing it to answer the question, but then when you are doing it, think of what are the additional usage your team versus the other data teams can get out of it so that you build this repeatable data product so that you can go on to do the next exciting thing and not just repulling the same data or rebuilding the same model and not having as much fun. There's just so much data, like and even at Poshmark, I mean, it's let's have more fun with the data as opposed to keep working on the same thing again and again. So I think where I'm going with that is like when you start talking about a scaling startup with the data, I think that's the mindset we operate with that uh, let's build data products. Yeah. And I think that's the problem when you part, start putting in all these different tools and trying to cobble together a stack from external tools. You don't really control where the tools go. You don't really understand how things are collected or built or things change. And essentially your ability to have more fun with the data is directly related to the way you've built the stack. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we have made very thoughtful decisions on what tool, whenever we got anything from the outside, will fit Poshmark's ecosystem. Yes, this has been a very well thought out structure. And I appreciate you spending time with us to talk through how you did this. If you had to boil it down into first, second, third, what would you do? I heard you say scale, and I've heard that from other senior executives who had a lot of progress. But what would you say first think about this second think about that third how would you frame it I would say always begin with the end in mind. That's very, very important. The whole point of thinking about the vision and the mission of anything you're trying to do, I cannot overemphasize the importance of that. And doing it well actually takes time. You have to sit for hours to write that one-line statement of what do I want to really do. And then mapping it back from there. And when we are thinking about the data, changing the mindset from how to what. Because generally, there's a tendency to just start collecting the data and start going from there. I think even the organization which have a lot of data, even for the further data collection, if we can start with what do we want to do with it and not the next month, but next three to five years vision of what do we want to do with it. And that will help you collect the data very differently. That will help you think about the tools very differently. So again, the very first step will be think about what is it I want to achieve in the next three to five years from the data and then map it from there to, I mean, assuming that the answer will be somewhere in creating the value for the business. I would say more the streamlined or more personalized to specific organizations, but mapping it from there to be able to do that. What data do I need and what frequency and how it should be structured? So we do have to think about the data. And then from there, we think about what tools we need to be able to. And, and in, the, in your top house statement, we also have to think about the culture. Because at least in my bio, opinion, data is powerful when the entire organization is enabled to use the data as opposed to just the data team. And then from once you identify what we want to do, how we want to enable the organization, then what data we want to collect, then we think about the tools we need to be able to scale data to deliver the value. And then after that, we need to think about the specific data functions development and what types of, I would say, initiatives they should focus on. And even in that last layer, I think we should think about it very broadly because data partners with business function in multiple ways. So a couple of months ago, I wrote an article about measuring the ROI of the data team. And in that article, I have shown a two-way metrics. And the purpose of that metrics is the one side, it shows the different business functions where the data team adds value. And the other dimension shows the different ways data adds value to the business. 
and we have to really think about all those functions. For example, there is so much excitement around the AI and the machine learning that a lot of time people don't think even today, 70% to 80% of the value gets delivered without that because there are a lot of other ways you add value to the, whether it's the insights or running the types of meetings I was talking about where everybody's informed, doing a lot of sophisticated analysis where you bring in the statistical concepts, but the modeling part is only needed when you are going into the automating decision, which at least in a startup world comes much later. I mean, even at Poshmark, like our first machine learning production algorithm was built just last year. And I'm actually very proud of that. That's not late for me. That was the plan from the very beginning because there was so much we needed to do. Like, why would you jump on the, like, I always give this classic example to people. Like, you never use the same tools and the same ingredients and the same recipe for all dishes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Right? And you can apply the same thing everywhere, right? You don't use all tools to build your house. You have different things to do, different parts of house building project. Why would you not remember the same concept for the data? And this is a discussion I have more with, I would say, the new young graduates, right? Because a lot of schools are, I think, selling this whole machine learning in such a way that everyone thinks that that's all the organizations do. And you have to generally reset that that's what we do for the problems where that makes sense. And even in doing that, the business judgment and the human intelligence you need to bring in, you only learn that by actually working on the data through what the classically were called the analytics or called the data science projects. Because without that, you can throw in the garbage data, you can have a wrong thing which you're trying to model, or you might end up building a model which is so biased. So it's, it, again, going back to the Poshmark example, if we would have built our recommendation algorithm with the goal of let's build the best recommendation algorithm from the data we have, it will be a different answer than let's build an algorithm which will delight users' experience at Poshmark because they come to Poshmark to find a variety of inventory. We build a very different thing, but we added human elements to it. There were places where we massaged the data or transformed the data because we know there are things which makes more sense because historical data will only tell what people have been doing in the past for what you expose them to. It's like driving a car looking out the rearview window. <laughs> exactly. And you learn these, what I call you can call it the business common sense or you can call it like I always tell people like show the respect to the data before you throw it to the tool. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Well, Barka, if people want to get in touch with you, I'm going to suggest that they reach out to you on LinkedIn. You can find her at Barka Saxena. And I did see that Poshmark is hiring and I'm sure you're always looking for just the right people on your team. So I'll just put that shout out there. But if people haven't experienced the Poshmark platform, is there a way they should get started with that? Yes, absolutely. I would say install the app or the register on web via the multiplayer platform company and if you want to when you join the Poshmark I do have my referral code I can give out that is my first name Barkha B-A-R-K-H-A 2014 again my first name and then four digits 2014 when you join the Poshmark, you get $10 credit to get started with. For anyone who has anything to sell in your closet, I would highly recommend for you to come and, and experience the Poshmark and see how the selling experience looks at Poshmark. 
We have 8 million people selling at Poshmark. Is that right? Yeah, 60 million users registered. So if you are a seller, think of the audience you're going to get at your platform. And for people who might be interested in purchasing, I would say we have 38 million items which are shared on Poshmark every day. So these are the sellers who are actively promoting their items because there's really good inventory. They are, we have almost like 2 million likes which happen on Poshmark every day, which means the users are finding two, almost 2 million items which are so beautiful. And think of it, a user spends 23 to 27 minutes in our app every day, and they open the app seven to eight times, which I'm, as a, from the data person perspective, I will take that as a signal that people are having a delightful experience, that they are so engaged. So I will invite if anyone who has not joined Poshmark, come join us and be with us on this beautiful journey we are on. That is a fantastic way to wrap up our show. Parka, thank you. I'm actually going to go see what I can sell from my closet. <laughs> you inspired me, especially yeah. with the customer love side. As always, links to everything we discussed are at ambitiondata.com slash podcast. Parka, could I get a link to your article that you mentioned as well? You put that in there? Yes, I will send you the link. It's a Forbes article, but I'll send you the link. Excellent. Parka, thank you for joining us today. It's been just a real pleasure to hear how a startup was shaped correctly with data to maximize the customer love. Thank you, Alison, for having me. It was fun talking to you. Remember, when you use your data effectively, just like Poshmark, you can build customer equity. It is not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. See you next time on the Customer Equity Accelerator.